Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your wonderful grace amongst us. And uh, thank you that you have given us your word. And um, we thank you that you also give us the intelligence to understand your word. We just pray that um, your Holy Spirit works in our hearts now and um, connect us and um, bring us into truth so that we will be willing to do according to your will. In Jesus' name, I pray all this. Amen. So um, today, uh, tonight, I'm going to uh, follow what has been told, uh, preached in the past few weeks. We have been uh, studying First Corinthians. We are up to chapter 14. Um, you may know now, Corinth is, was a very prosperous city, in a very uh, prosperous city, and um, it's a very worldly church. It got a lot of problems, a lot of issues, but it's still God's church. Paul still goes, call them saints. And um, God didn't give them up, and that's why he um, asked Paul to send them a letter to deal with different issues in, in the church. In uh, chapter 1 to 4, deal with the decision, division in the church, and then um, chapter 5, it dealt with the case of uh, incest in uh, chapter 5, and then he dealt with some lawsuits among believers, sexual immorality in chapter 6, um, marriage life in chapter 7, and he dealt with how people look at him himself in chapter 9. And then now we come to chapter 12 to 14. It is about worship service. So tonight we will um, focus mainly in chapter 14, and it's a long chapter. It basically divides into three parts. The first one is from one, verse 1 to verse 19. It is about that, the fact that we should speak intelligible words uh, in church meetings. The second part is from verse 20 to verse 25, um, that tongues without interpretation is of limited value. The third one is about our participation in during services, so that we should be um, holding service in an orderly and a fitting way. So basically, these three points have been uh, repeated in the last two verses of this chapter. In verse 39 to verse 40, Paul is summarizing all what he wanted to say in the chapter. Verse 39 says, Therefore, my brother and sisters, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but in everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. So, three points. Paul was speaking about three points. The first point is to eager to prophesy. Second is do not forbid speaking in tongues. Third point is everything in the worship service should be done in a fitting and orderly way. So this will be the structure of my sermon. So I'm going to give you three points tonight. And um, we, we will look at uh, how um, Paul would say that a church as a Corinth, how it should be run so that it can be edifying one another. So um, you know nowadays we have very a lot of um, information technology, we have social networks, so, so all the pastors, they are thinking ways to engage with people and use of this technology to bring people to God. And one church, um, they call themselves a cyber church, and um, 
they actually broadcast on Sunday and people don't need to go to church. They just stay at home with the family members and then they just uh, watch the TV program and then worship together. And then um, when uh, the, the pastor of that church was being interviewed, he said, we were blown away at how many people could actually worship along online. The whole family will gather around the computer and they will sing and worship together instead of trying to get people to come to church. We feel like we can bring a church to them. So is it a church that Paul will endorse if church is here today in this world? Will he like this way of running church? I think not. Because even though the church in Corinth, they don't have an iPhone. And um, they still have a struggle of understanding what a church is. And that's why Paul needs to tell them how to run a church. And if you look at the whole passage, um, there are 40 verses there. And one word is standing out. It always appears in the passage. It is the word edify, edification, strengthening. They are all in the same um, word stem in Greek. It means to, to repair. It's a, actually an architecture word. It is about to repair, to maintain, and to build up a building. So this is the main point of what Paul is trying to say. A church is about edifying people. A church is about building people up about bringing your brothers and sisters coming together and encourage them and strengthen them so that they can be stronger and work with God. So Paul tells us that a church is just like, like a construction site. What a construction like, site like is like is a very, uh, very what? A mess. Uh, really, like, just like a mess, yes. A lot of problems, right? A lot of issues. And this is church. This is Corinthian. This is every church. Every church has its issues. Our church has our issues. But how to deal with it is by edifying one another to be stronger Christians so that we can deal with the problems. We can build each other up. So Romans chapter 14 verse 19 says, Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Rome chapter, uh, Romans chapter 15 verse 2 says, Each of us should please his neighbor for his good to build him up. So in order to edify ourselves in the church, Paul teaches us to love one another, and he teaches us how we should use our gifts. So in this chapter, he is telling us three important points that we should note if we want to edify the church. The first point is he is talking about the importance of preaching. In worship, you know, uh, you can look from the passage. Uh, obviously, Paul has a preference of um, prophecy over gifts of tongue because he said prophecy edified people and gifts of tongue do not. And first of all, we have to ask ourselves what's the meaning of prophecy? Prophecy is different from what we commonly understand in the world. It is not to foretell what things will happen. In the Bible, prophecy is speaking things for God. So, 
we, we, when we say that someone is a prophet, he's speaking on behalf of God. So in the uh, modern day sense, it will mean to teach the Bible, to teach the word of God, to expound the Bible in a way so that people can understand this is prophecy. This is prophecy for the, the, in this um, age. So coming to church, Paul said to us that it is not about feeling coming to church. It is not about, um, it's not an individual thing. It's not about watching performance. We should not only sing to God, we should not only feel the presence of God, it is about using our rational mind to understand the truth of God and relay the truth to ourselves and act it out in our life and also to encourage other people. The Corinthians, they were too puffed up. They were so happy because they have a strange gift, a gift of tongue, a gift of speaking in other language. Some people say it's a kind of a strange language that no one can understand. But they are so puffed up because they have this special gift and they are so happy about it and they're so proud of it. They brag about it. They ask people to follow about, about it. So all of a sudden, if you look at verse 12, you know that this is a church that is seeking earnestly for gifts of the Holy Spirit. But they are seeking wrongly. They are not seeking the gifts of prophecy or preaching. They are seeking the gifts of tongue, which Paul reminds them it is not important at all. So Paul reminds us the first point is that preaching, understanding God's, of, God's word is very important in worship service. And the word of God is very powerful in convicting us in teaching us, in disciplining us, and in guiding us. So Paul reminds us that prophecy edifies the church. No matter its hymns, words of knowledge, they are all edifying the church. And as we come to church, we should use our rationality, we should use our reasoning function to be convinced and to be persuaded. Francis Colling is a very famous um, American physician and a, a geneticist. So he's in charge of the Human Genome Project. He's one of the most prominent scientists in the world. And, um, but he didn't come to the Lord when um, he was um, in studying medicine. One day he was studying medicine, he went to a hospital. He has to deal with a lot of patients with uh, heart disease. And uh, one patient has already have a close relationship with him and he was just like his grandmother. And this patient was just, have, uh, just had a heart attack episode and he was, um, it was so serious that he almost died. Uh, she almost died. So she shared with um, this um, Francis Colin about how she could overcome this difficulty, uh, this, her health condition. She said it's not because of the doctor, it's because of her faith. 
And he asked Francis, do you believe in God? So suddenly this scientist, this famous um, um, one who always looked for facts and evidence, suddenly had been asked this question and he was so, he, he was so subtle, he, he couldn't answer. And then he tried to look into it. He tried to investigate whether God is trustworthy. He used his rational function, he looked at all the evidence, and then he concluded at the end that the Christianity is true. He's now giving testimony. He has been converted, and he ends up believing in God. So Christianity is based on facts and evidence. It is not based on emotion. You have, uh, maybe you have heard of a book called The Case of, for Faith. Um, one journalist called Lars Strupp, he was a journalist who tried to prove that Christianity was not true. So he gathered all the evidence, tried to gather all the facts, but at the end, he was converted. He became a Christian. And now he wrote other books like The Case for Christ and The Case for Creator because the truth convicts people. The truth brings us to him. I have a friend who is now a doctor, and I tried to share gospel with him for a long time. He couldn't believe it. I shared at least uh, many times, and uh, for two years, he has been struggled with a um, problem, with a question, that whether Jesus was really raised from the dead. And he did a lot of research, he did a lot of study, and then at the end, he concluded, it is true. It is true, Jesus has risen from the dead. So he believed in God. He believed in Jesus. I think this is very right attitude. It's not because of emotion. It's not because of a sense of strange love or peace in your heart. It's because you are convicted by the truth. And it is very important. Otherwise, we will be a group of people who are just doing other things like you know the pagan in pagan worship. You maybe you don't know. I am Chinese. I went to some Buddhism um, temple, and they worship like they're just chanting. They are just chanting in a language that you don't understand, and then and then you feel not a sense of peace that you have um, a sense of frightenedness, and after you 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 be in the temple, and this is not personality. It is about using our rationality function to trust in God. I remember I have been a Christian for 30 years, more than 30 years, and over these 30 years, the strongest spiritual growth doesn't come from um, uh, maybe one or two um, evangelical meeting or a, a meeting that I can um, bring me to have a high emotional state. But it comes from the fact that I went to the Bible college, I attend back the class every day, and then slowly, slowly, every day, the teacher expands to me the meaning of the word, the Bible, and then slowly, slowly, I grow. And that's the most significant growth in my spirit, spiritual life. So. It is very important for us to teach the word, God's word. It is very important for us in all our gatherings to teach God's word because God's word can shape us. It can guide us. It 
can grow us. So in SDBC, we try to preach God's word. We try to read what the passage says and try to speak to you and not our reading our meaning into the word. Because men do not live by bread alone. We need God's word. God said once in Amos, my people hungry still lack of food, but because they could not hear my word. Without God's word, we will all be hungry. We will all be thirsty in our soul. We desperately need God's word. We desperately need it to be delivered to us in a way that we can understand. So I just encourage you to study God's word in your life group. I don't know what do you do when you gather in your life group, but studying God's word is very important. And Paul says in verse 1 that we should eagerly long for the gift of preaching, of prophecy. That means preaching. So do you long for spiritual gifts? Do you long for it? Do you pray for it? To ask that God will give you that special gift of preaching, teaching God's word so that you can edify people, you can build people up. This is a wonderful gift. This is a wonderful, um, Paul called that a greater gift that you can have. It's not speaking in tongue, but to teach, to preach God's word. So, May our church be one that is focused in God's word. That we can have a lot of people who can preach, who can teach God's word, so that we can grow together in the knowledge of God and the love of one another and build up people. So this is the first point, the importance of preaching in worship. The second point Paul tried to say is the importance of interpretation in worship. It is very important that we speak in a language that people can understand. That's why in our church, we have different congregations. You have Cantonese congregation, we have Mandarin congregation, we have English congregation. I usually go to the Cantonese congregation because Cantonese is my heart language. That's why my English sometimes is a little bit uh, loose. <laughs> but um, I hope you can understand. But uh, I try to interpret my own heart language. So without being able to interpret, so I should not speak. That's what Paul said. That's why I speak to you in English. So if I speak in Cantonese, what will happen after one minute? Then you will feel uneasy. After two minutes, maybe the PA desk will cut off my mic. And after three minutes, someone will come and drag me down. <laughs> so I need to speak in Cantonese. I'm sorry, I need to speak in English. Yes. So... Um, I'm trying my best, so, and um, I remember, in one sense, I, um, many years ago, I, went, I came from a Pentecostal church in Hong Kong. You know, as a Pentecostal church, they try to follow the Pentecostal movement. So they try to learn, the church tried to learn how to speak in tongue, because they tried to follow the movement in the 1970s. And they, they know about that, so they, they don't put it, try to do this in a worship meeting, in the worship service, they have separate prayer meetings. So I have uh, joined the prayer meetings, and, um, and uh, in the prayer meeting, they try to learn how to speak in tongue. So everyone try to relax their 
the tongue and, and try to say something weird. And, and what I felt was, I did not feel a sense of peace. I was actually felt very frightened. Yes, because it is not peaceful at all. Because everyone is speaking loud and in a language that I don't understand. They even don't know, they even don't understand. Well, what is tongue? What is speaking tongue? Um, if you ask some very good um, scholars, Bible scholars, some of them says, because at that time, in the, in the time of Corinth, they don't have the Bible. So they need to use prophesy prophecy to encourage one another, special word of God or even uh, special tongue to, uh, to, to show that uh, God has um, special, um, God is working among them. But because now the Bible has been completed, so there's no need for this kind of uh, tongue speaking in people. So this is very um, good Bible scholar. Some of them will think in that way. They are, we call them a secessionist, so it's stopped already. The gift of tongue has already, has already been stopped. But there are also other very good Bible scholars that think otherwise. They think that still there's still a place for tongue nowadays. So I, for me, myself, I am a moderate secessionist. I don't think... Um, I don't think... Um, one can speak in tongue and then have a, a better relationship with God. I, I, think, I think God will continue to um, work in people's hearts and when they have um, when they pray themselves. But God surely will not like to use tongue to build people up in a worship service. So you might have a special experience personally, I don't know. Some of the people tell me that um, they have special uh, situation, critical situation where they will speak in tongue because they don't know how to pray, and God help them to pray. But myself has an experience. But I do also um, realize that there are a lot of people in this world, they, don't, they can't access to the Bible, and I can hear a lot of stories that God is doing amazing things in the, for example, the Muslim world. God is using dreams and visions to work in people's hearts and bring people to Christ. It's still, God is still working. So we have to be very careful not to put God in a box, saying that God will never do this again anymore, because God is God. He can do anything He wants. He can do anything at the time that he wants. So I don't um, object that uh, the fact that people can still speak in tongue, but surely from what has been taught in the Bible here, tongue speaking is not edifying for uh, the church when people gather together, unless it is being interpreted. So, so God, um, so Paul told us that uh, Paul told the people in Corinth that they should not forbid tongues. It is surely a gift from God, it's, and it's not a, speak in, a problem to speak in tongues. And Paul himself also spoke in tongues, but it's a problematic speak in tongues without interpretation in the church. 
Sorry? Sorry? Okay, sorry. Siri is speaking. So, um, so, hi Siri. <laughs> Just turn it off. <laughs> yeah. Um, some people say if you don't speak in tongue, you don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You are not a Christian, and this is not true. The moment we are born again, we have spirit lives in our hearts. And the Bible never says that in order to become a Christian, you must speak in tongues. This is heresy. So verse 22 says, it is in fact a sign for non-believers so that they know that a different age has come. You know, in the old days, in the Tower of Babel, so... Um, God has uh, mankind are separated because God put them um, in um, speaking different language, different tongues. But in the Pentecost, in the Pentecost, God has allowed people to speak in tongues so that they know a new age has come, because they know Holy Spirit now work in people's hearts now. And um, Paul is asking them to grow, not like a child. Not think like a child. Being able to speak in tongues doesn't mean that you are spiritually superior. It's a childish thinking. It's a gift from God. It's not because that you are good. You should not use this to, to push other people to be like you. So, I remember uh, I have a nephew who was two years old. And when he started to learn how to walk, he, will, he was so happy and uh, he was so excited. Once he was uh, standing up and sitting down on a chair with Italy, standing up and sitting down on a chair, and he said to me, look at me, look at me, look at me. I can do this, I can do this. Well, this is childish thinking. The Corinthians, those who can speak in tongue, they are doing the same thing. Look at me, look at me. I can speak in tongue. Come on. You should speak in tongue too. Otherwise, you are not spiritual. This is what the Koreans are thinking. They are thinking about themselves. They are not thinking about God. They are not trying to encourage people to look at how, God, how great God is. But they are trying to focus on themselves and saying that, you see how good I am, how great I am. And this is not the way to edify people. So that's why Paul says in chapter 8, verse 1, knowledge pops up, love builds up. You should love other people. If you want to edify people, you should love other people. And you should say something that people can understand. That's why in verse first. Of 18, Paul says, I'd rather say five verses that people can understand of to encourage them rather than to say 10,000 words of tongue. So I, I also hope that this is also my wish to be able to share a message that you, people can understand, that people can listen, <laughs> and that to point out how great God is. It's not 
how great I am. So this is always my prayer when I come up to the stage to preach. I always have the same prayer, just like what Charles Spurgeon has when the great preacher, when he come to stage, he, he said in one of his sermons that when he come to stage, he was so frightened, even though he has so many years of preaching and he's called the prince of preaching. When he come to preach, he often said to himself, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. And it's the Holy Spirit that help him to preach, to help him to convey the, the preaching message to his people, to help people to understand. It's not because of him. So I just want to ask you maybe a few questions. Are we running church that let people get excited and get emotional and not building up using God's word? Even in your life group, are you getting people excited and encourage them to come to your life group to have good food, good meals, good sharing, but you're not teaching God's word? And, and do you pop up by the meaning of using, our, by the feeling of using your gifts to serve Him? Because the gifts prove that you are good. So these are the very serious questions we have to understand. We have to remind ourselves that whatever we do, we have to show how great God is and not how great we are. So this is the second point. I think the third point Paul is trying to say is that in our worship service, we should everything should be done in order. And at that time, one of the problem is women. <laughs> well, um, my wife is not here, but if I continue, if I preach, and suddenly my my wife raised up her hand and asked me some questions, trying to challenge me. What will happen? It will become a very confusing. Um, um, I, won't, I won't be able to preach anyway. I will, I will be um, feeling very hard to preach. And this is the same. And that was happening in the Church of Corinth. The woman, actually, the translation can be translated to wives and women. It's the same word in Greek. So I think it, the, the passage saying here is not saying that the woman cannot preach or cannot pray. Because in chapter 11, it says that the woman can preach and, 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 and pray if they cover their heads. So Paul is not against women speaking in uh, public. Don't misunderstand. It's against at that time that there was a feminist movement that women become trying to be prominent. Even in worship service, they try to steal the stage. They try to uh, uh, stop their husband by asking questions and showing how great they are. It's the same old thing, showing how great they are, bragging about themselves. So they try to do the same thing, and, but they bring a lot of confusion to worship service. So that's why um, the first thing that people, uh, Paul wants us to remember is that we have to uh, do things in order, in an orderly way, especially in a worship service. So we have this uh, order of service. Every Sunday, um, we preachers 
everyone on the stage in the PA does, they receive this order of service. We try to do things in order so that people can be encouraged. But I just want to ask you a question. We all prepare, many of us serving the church, we, we prepare, we come to church prepared. How about you yourself? Do you come to worship service prepared? Do you pray that you will receive something in a worship service? Do you, do you plan beforehand who will you talk to in a worship service? After the worship service, who will I talk to? How can I encourage them? How, how can I care for those people? So we have to also do the same thing to prepare ourselves to come to service so that we can do things in an orderly and a fitting way. And God wants us to do that because the purpose of coming to church is to encourage one another. And God is a God of order and peace. And He's not a God of confusion. So He wants us to do things in order. He wants us to plan things. He wants us to, to plan about how we do things. So even in our worship service, even in how we deal with our brothers and sisters, we also have to do it. So to end this sermon, uh, remember the Corinthian church was not in order. There was a lot of confusions. And the church, actually everyone is trying to promote themselves. They think they are good. They ask people to look at them. And then the church become partisans. So they have many parties. Some say that I belong to Paul. Look at me, I belong to Paul. Look at me, I belong to Apollo. So they compete, they argue, they're not united, they engage in temple prostitute, they also um, not taking care of others in their love feast. So people are being, not being built up because they didn't know the meaning of love. That's why Paul had to tell them, tell them about chapter 13, about the message of love, the meaning of love to them. They didn't know, that's why there was a mess. But you have heard, you have the Bible, you have chapter 13, and you have chapter 14. You know how, what is so important and how to edify people. So let's add that out. Let's be a group of people that take care of others. They're not to focus in ourselves, but we can be a church that focuses on teaching of God's word, a church that edifies our people using our words and um, using um, God's word to edify people. And also, we also pray that God will help us to run the church service and our lives in an orderly and a fitting way. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your help um, in our understanding of your word. We just pray that you give us um, your word. Uh, may the word still remains in our hearts so that we can continue to digest it, continue to affect us, so that we will be people that are humble by you, that are loving, so that we can encourage other 
each other and we can build your church up. In Jesus' name, I pray all this. Amen.